One of the interesting things about traveling, we were in a city in an airport, um, and in the city there was a lot of smog in China. It's uh, in a city called Chengdu. It it was just um, depressing. Uh, you couldn't see the sun anywhere. And we got in the airplane and we lifted up. And one of the most beautiful things is once you go up to a certain height, you realized that all of life was not filled with smog. You, there's a layer. You went up above and you could see the sun. And it was as if it was a bright, sunny day. And all you could see below was the layers of smog. And I thought, you know, it's interesting how we can get so caught up in our context and have our attitude determined by the atmosphere, not realizing that all along there is a bright sunny day if you go up high enough. I think about that when I consider Colossians chapter 3. Last week we were uh, focusing on this and uh, looking primarily at verses uh, 5 uh, through 11, but all these flow from chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, when he says, seek those things which above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above with Christ, who is your life. And it's this idea that your mind is to be where Christ is. So much of how we act and deal with one another is usually determined by our atmosphere. By how they treated us. What is the vibe that we sense and feel. And in reality, how people treat you and the atmosphere we live in is really no better than smog. That keeps us from seeing the reality of Christ. Every once in a while we have our, you know, in our family, we've got all kinds of issues on a daily basis. Uh, for folks who don't like drama, uh, you know, you don't have a family. Uh, it kind of comes with the territory. And uh, every once in a while, I, ha- I have this attitude where someone's saying, well, this is how they treated me. And I quickly jump on that. I said, that is no way the standard of why you should treat this person that way. But I know I'm preaching to myself when I tell someone else that. How someone treats me is not the standard of how we are to live our life. Because that is a very poor, pollutant error. To breathe. And so, last week, we talked about what does it mean to have Christ in our life. That, uh, Colossians chapter 2 says, Christ in us, which is the hope of glory. What does that mean? And we talked about the negative aspect of it. To have the power of Christ in us, is there is going to be a negative aspect. In other words, there's going to be a power to stop things. There's going to be a power to kill things that take us away from Christ. And we talked about the the necessity of killing sin in our life. Not to coddle it, not to allow it to be there as just somewhat of a life enhancement because to see sin from God's perspective is to see sin as eternally deadly and to judge it as such. But for the believer, we are not marked by what we just do not do. We are marked by what we do. Love, primarily. And so we're going to look at verses 12 through 17 um, as we consider this. And, and what does it look like to set your mind on things above? What does that mean? It's so abstract. What does that mean? What does it mean to have Christ living us, the hope of glory? That sounds great, but how do we know when we see it? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does that look like? How does it look to have the Word of Christ dwelling in us? And so it's giving us 
character, Christian conduct. But it's so much more than this is how you ought to behave. This is Christ living in us. How does Christ live in us? What will that look like? And so, uh, in honor of this being God's word, I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. And then I'm going to look to verse 11, which we covered last week, and go all the way through 17. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You may be seated. I could not recommend to you highly enough the value of memorizing what we just read. It is worthy of the mental anguish you'll go through to do so. Uh, This is uh, one that our staff has memorized, uh, specifically verses 12 through 17, for the last few months, and has borne all kinds of fruit in our life, of which I cannot relate to you in the next 25 minutes, um, and that's the frustration I have. Um, But it has the metaphor, verse 12, of dressing up. Verses 5 through 9 is the metaphor of an executioner. A Christian is an executioner killing certain things. And then it has this metaphor of putting off and putting on, of, of, of changing clothes. And, and we often talk about how we, we are uh, as we dress. And uh, it's, it's true that it matters how we dress. In fact, here's a good quote. Clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. Mark Twain. I thought that's a pretty good quote uh, right there. So how we live, how we present ourselves to the public matters. But I want you to understand the context here. When he's saying all these attributes, he is talking about believers among believers. Sure, it's true among unbelievers. But the primary audience, as we talk about these attributes, is among Christians. So I think that it might be effective to you that as we study this, have in your mind, maybe write down initials on your note sheets, that person, that believer that you have something against or have something against you, that believer that you 
struggle with. You know what I mean? You don't naturally click. Or worse, you uh, click in a bad way. There's offenses being done, whether they are aware of it or not. This will have great effect in your life if you have that in your mind. I encourage you to write down some thoughts here as they hit you. You will be tested on this. You will be tested on this. Uh, So, how do we live this life? How do we put on Christ? Sins are antisocial. Do you realize that? All those sins that we see listed in verses 5 through 11, they're antisocial. In fact, verse 11 is hitting right at the root of racism. For most of America's history, we could not understand and interpret and apply verse 11 to our own society. We were blind to it. That is the nature of sin, you realize that. We can for generations be blind to sin. But the nature of the power of Christ and the word of, of God is that it's corrective. It is corrective. And that is, we pray, being done among us as believers. I think it is uh, no coincidence, no accident that those who have been social shapers for the most part uh, have been believers in the good way. Now, as we keep our reading, verse 12. Put on then. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. The first thing I would want you to do, and I think what Scripture is teaching us to do, to understand how Christian character changes, how do we put on Christ, is first the imperative, see God's view of yourself. See God's view of you. As Paul is writing this out, and he says, I want you to put on Christ, I want you to put on these attributes, I want you to put on love, but he reminds them, remember, put this on as God's Chosen ones, you have been selected, you have been elected, you have been set apart. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You have been set apart, that's the word holy, for the use of God. And you have been loved by Him. He loves you. You need to understand that as we walk this journey of living Christ out of us, it starts with what God is doing in us, what God has done to us. And the first thing that God has done is He's selected you. He's elected you. He's chosen you. He's set you apart to be holy, and He loves you. And you notice as we keep on reading, uh, he, he brings us back to that in verse 13, reminding us of what God has done and that the Lord has forgiven us. And so we've been set apart as the bride for the groom, holy and beloved. That's why when a believer sins, it is all the more tragic. It is as if you would see a bride as they're coming down for the groom, who the groom has loved and cherished and sacrificed for, but as the bride comes down, instead of grabbing the groom's arm, he grabs, she grabs the best man. And runs out the side door. Now, betrayal is always bad. But there's something a little bit more tragic about that, isn't there? Of the love expended and the love spurned. And so, notice what God has done. See God's view of you. We, uh, we had an article in the newspaper uh, this past week about furs. Fur coats. 
Uh, my wife had inherited a fur coat from my great aunt. Um, she's worn it once. Uh, I think when we first got it, and it happened to be cold that day, and we had no other coat. Um, and I'm constantly thinking, man, this is a great coat. I, I love this fur coat. She won't wear the fur coat. And uh, we got this uh, article, newspaper. Some of you may have read this newspaper article about this fur coat. And, and it's like, man, I started reading numbers out there, like uh, minimal price of $1,000 and some $5,000. Like, hey, let's check out that fur coat. We got to start Googling the name of it and uh, found out it's, it's a meat coat, natural, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, man, I was like, why don't you wear this? This is great. <laughs> she won't wear it, you know. Um, but when you realize the value, when you can see a price tag on something, isn't it funny how it changes your view of things? What's the price tag for your soul? The love expended is done on the cross. It is Jesus dying on the cross. And so understand that when you wake up each day, God has set his love for you that day. He loves you. He has you set apart for a purpose, not for you just to do whatever you want, but he purchased you to walk in good works, which he set apart for you since before this world began. So consider God's view of you. And then, holy and beloved, he starts saying, this is what you put on. So the second imperative of the Christian conduct is show others Christ in you. What do I, what do I mean by that? What well, he says in verse uh, 12, put on then. That's a verb. Action. A command. Do it. But then what is the object? What's the direct object of that? What is it exactly we're putting on? And he starts listing out all these attributes, but it's really not till you get down to verse 14, that you have the direct object to the verb. Put on then love. Love. All these attributes that's listed from verses 12 and verse 13, 13 are components of love. Because if it's not at the heart love, then it's just moralism. And Christians, we are not to be lived just by a moral code. We are putting on Christ. It is relationship driven. It is love driven. And so, what does love look like? Well, first, is compassion. It's heartfelt sympathy for those suffering in need. But the concrete action of that is kindness. Kindness. Friendly, a helpful spirit, which meets needs through good deeds, is the concrete action of compassion. How do you know when Christ is at work in your life? Is there compassion in your heart? Do you have a kind thought to do for someone? Whenever you have a kind thought for someone else, mark it down. Christ. Don't take ownership of that. Take ownership of, <laughs> of verses 5 through 11. 5 through 10. That's, that's what comes from us. But when you have a kind thought, it is Christ working in you. Humility. The proper estimation of yourself. What is so amazing is that Jesus was humble. He was lowly in heart and meek. It just baffles my mind. The humility of God given to us in Jesus Christ who humbled himself and took 
the fashion of a servant, being, being made as a man and, and humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross, a, a shameful death. He humbled himself. Now, what is the practical outworking of that? What is the concrete action of humility? What's well, meekness? Refusing to demand one's rights. Some have said power under control, and it's a good definition. It's not to say that you're powerless. That's not the idea of meekness. It is great power, but there is restraint. You do not take and force the rights that, that may belong to you. What is the opposite of meekness? Entitlement. Entitlement is the opposite of meekness. It is an expression of pride. So humility comes and looks like, you know, I could demand a right, but I'm not going to. For the good of someone else. I do not have to have that. I love how in John 13, it's introducing Jesus. John 13 is when Jesus washes the disciples' feet because they are fighting among themselves among who is the greater. And they're trying to figure out which one's going to get the best seats who, which seed is entitled to who? And Jesus in John 13, knowing from where he comes and where he is going, loved his disciples to the end, took the servant's robe. How is it that Jesus was able to humble himself because he knew where he came from, he knew where he was going, he did not have to fight for value in this world. He knew that he was loved by God. See, it flows from the first one. See God's view of you. John 13, Jesus himself did that, knew the Father's love for him, and that enabled him, freed him up to take the servant's robe instead of having to fight with someone else to make sure I get my own rights. There's not much joy in that. There's a lot of bitterness and heartache when you're constantly clamoring for attention and for what's due you. And so, humility. Is there an unforgiving spirit? A resentment? that flows from pride. Do we tend to cover our sin instead of confessing our sin? Do we have difficulty saying that we're wrong? Are to forgive? Do we desire attention and recognition from others? When we're humiliated, do we tend to defend ourselves or retaliate? Where's Christ in that? Where's Christ in that? And then patience. Patience. Capacity to bear injustice or injury without revenge or retaliation. It is to endure long, is to have a, a long fuse, if you will. So what does that look like? Well, verse 13 gives you the concrete example of what that looks like. Remember, who are we talking about here? We're talking about believers. That's who he's talking about. He says, Christians... Those who have the name of Christ, who has Christ in you, bear with one another. There's been some debate of what is the value of coming to church on a Sunday morning and, and being here at a specific time, at a point in time by some church. What is the value of that? What is the value of listening to music that I can listen to on the radio, I can listen to on my iPod? What is the value of listening to the teaching of the Word of God that I can honestly hear better sermons any day of the week? What is the value of that? I'm going to tell you the value is not you sitting here listening to me. 
The value is not you singing songs. The value is you being forced to talk to someone else. And the value is going to be when they're very different from you, but they have Christ and you have to accommodate them. The value is accommodating one another for the sake of Christ and for the glory of God. It is relationship. It's not whether or not you're sitting in a certain spot at a certain time. Now there is value in that as you guys just see one another, you're reminded of one another, you get to catch up with one another, but what you do with that is what really matters. What you do with that. So, Romans 12.3 For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 24. This patience can change a world. Some of you may remember uh, the story of, of Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson was uh, the first uh, black baseball player in the major leagues. Some of you may have watched the movie 42 that came out, but there's quite a few things that were not brought out in the movie. For instance, that Ricky Branch, who was the, the owner, was a believer. Second, that Jackie Robinson was a believer. Jackie Robinson met with, with Ricky Branch. This is some of the, the conversation that occurred. Ricky said, I know you're a good ball player. What I don't know is whether you have the guts. Ricky knew he meant something dramatically different from what Robinson was thinking, so he continued, I'm looking for a ball player with guts enough not to fight back. That was an unexpected wrinkle. Ricky then spun out a number of scenarios to convey what he meant. Put in different scenarios using words that I don't really feel comfortable even saying here. That he would be confronted with. According to Ricky, not only would Jack Robinson have to tolerate such abuse... But he would need to be almost superhuman and to commit himself to never, ever hit back. That was the heart of the whole enterprise. If Jackie could promise that, then he and Ricky could make it work. They could open the doors for other black players and change the game forever. Jackie knew that resisting the urge to fight back really would require superhuman effort. He was moved by Ricky's vision. He thought of his mother. He thought of all the black people who deserved someone to break the ground for them. He believed God had chosen him for this noble purpose. He believed he had to do it. For black children, for his mother, for his wife, for himself. Knowing that Jackie shared his Christian faith and wanting to reinforce the spiritual dimension of what the two men were about to embark, Ricky brought out a copy of the book titled Life of Christ. He flipped to the passage in which Papini discussed the Sermon on the Mount and refers to it as the most stupefying of Jesus' revolutionary teachings. And he quoted Matthew 5, verse 38 through 41. Ricky was betting that Jackie Robinson knew what he himself knew. Although this was indeed humanly impossible, with God's help it was entirely possible, and Jackie did know it. 
As a Christian, he knew that if he committed himself to doing this thing, which both men felt was God's will, God would give Jackie the strength to accomplish it. Isn't that interesting? That even major movements of society that our country has experienced, at the heart of it was a believer willing to endure, willing to have patience with other people who claimed to be believers but did not act like it. One of the challenges of being in a church is that you're going to be with people who have the name of Christ, who know the word of God, who know better but do not do better. What do we do when bad Christians happen to good people? Same thing Christ did. Same thing Christ did. It is putting on Christ. Putting on love. And love will take us down a road where he says, I want you to get in a church. I want you to get with other people. And it sounds great. Being with others, called for a purpose of accomplishing his, his work. But they won't be perfect. And they will hurt you. They will say things. They will have lapses about judgment. Sometimes it will be intentional. Some will be unintentional. But regardless of how it's done, you are to be examples of Christ, letting Christ live. How do we do that? It's not by the atmosphere of green pines. It's the atmosphere of Christ. We seek Christ above. You remember that? Get above the smog and hear from Christ daily. Daily. So verse 13 Bearing with one another. And I think it's every word is chosen on purpose. There is an aspect of bearing with one another. And if it ever so happens in life as you live this journey with other believers, one has a complaint against another, then forgive each other. How do we do that? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Here's the reality. Either you will put on forgiveness or you'll put on bitterness. You don't have a third option, really. You're going to put on bitterness or you're going to put on forgiveness. And I'm going to tell you, bitterness does not look good. I remember growing up, we, we had Christmas and, you know, uh, my grandparents would always give us clothes, a lot of clothes. Um, and so here's what we had to do after that. We would have to model them. I hated that. I didn't even like doing that in the store. I didn't want to go to the changing room. Really? But it, yeah, it, and it wasn't good enough that I did it in my bedroom. I had to come out. Have everybody go, okay, look. <laughs> you know? It has to be done in front of others. Christ is saying, I'm giving you a gift. I'm giving you my spirit. I'm giving, I'm giving Christ in you. This is the hope of glory. It's given to you. Now, wear it. Put it on display. It doesn't work just in your quiet time. It doesn't just work when you're all by yourself and you got the, the music playing, the candles lit. It doesn't just work when you're sitting here listening to someone. It has to be put on in front of someone else. So you also must forgive. Matthew verse 16, 14 through 15. For if you give others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness is not an action based on, uh, is not an emotion. 
It's a choice. Not every relationship that has caused us hurt is going to be restored someday. But every hurtful relationship needs forgiveness. The person who fails to forgive not only carries unnecessary reminder of their hurt, but they also fall short of God's command. Being disobedient. It hurts to hurt. It hurts to hurt. So we need to ask ourselves, are we letting the pain of yesterday's hurt stand in the way of God's healing today? Are we letting yesterday's pains stand in the way of today's healing? He is the loving physician who is ready to heal. Are you willing to be his patient? And here's something that you need to know. You will never forgive anyone as much as God has already forgiven you. Do you believe that? That is your strength. It is the joy of the Lord that is your strength. Verse 14, And above all these, put on love. This is all captured in love, and this is why we're putting on Christ. So let me just put some things together. You guys who like geometry might like some of these proofs, all right? So, Scripture says, Jesus says, that he is the fulfillment of the law. God is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus says, I come not to abolish the law, but fulfill the law, Matthew five seventeen. And then he says, the law is summed up in this way. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is the fulfillment of that law, and the law is loving God and loving others. Guess what we're doing when we're loving others? We're letting Christ work in our life. He says that if you, if you miss it here, you've missed out. So it's kind of like, you know, you go in those stores or those restaurants. I always was puzzled a little bit where it says no shoes, no sir, shirt, no service. Hey, you always wonder, right? What about the pants? <laughs> it's like, well, if you don't have pants, that's another thing. That's called your illegal. It's indecent exposure. It's another issue. All right. It, some things are just assumed. You don't have to make a statement. Otherwise, yeah, you, you know, you're going to wear your pants. Well, here, Scripture said, yes, you're going to love. You're going to love. This is part of what it means to be a believer. John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. We're going to wear love. We're going to wear Christ, just like you put on your pants every day. To walk out without love is to have indecent exposure. Put on Christ. Well, I've got several more points, and we won't do them all today. But for those of you who will be frustrated by this, um, let me just tell you, we must also... Uh, as we are living this Christ life, not only to see God's view of us, not only to submit or to show the love of Christ, show others Christ in you, but also submit to the peace of Christ thankfully, soak up God's word thankfully, 
and see all of life as a spiritual act, thankfully. Lord willing, that's next week. <laughs> Maybe we'll all be here. Um, but the challenge in this, I, I think there's enough of a challenge here, is that if we want to have Christ living us, the solution here is not for you to walk home and say, God, I, I need to love more. That's not the solution. Because you're not saved by your efforts to love. You can fast your way to love. You can memorize all the verses about love. You can have a disciplined life. But we've already seen in Galatians 2 that it's not by your own efforts, your discipline. It is by Christ. So the, the mandate here is not to go back and love more. The mandate is for us to go back and say, I need Christ more. Let me kill my sin because my sin is undermining and working actively against love. By the power of Christ, let that die. And every day, Christ, I need you. In any of these circumstances. Remember, it's in the everyday of our life that this really matters. It's what you're going to do when you go home and how you treat one another. It's how you drive. It's how you work. It's how you go to sleep. It's how you wake up. It's how you read things or not read things. It is in the everyday that we need Christ at work. And if we're not loving in the everyday, then we're not loving in our life when it's said and done. So I would have you do, as the scripture says, go to the word of God for your strength. Understand what the peace of Christ is talking about. Learn the power of giving thanks. And see every bit of your life as a spiritual act of worship. We'll talk about that more, Lord willing. Let's pray.